You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. How many stayed up to watch a good ball game last night? I know, man, good grief. I was telling, we were talking about it, like my anxiety was climbing, and I'm like, are we going to finish this thing? And then, oh, we finished it. Oh, it was so good, so good. All right, glad to see you guys here today, and uh, everyone is happy because of that game. Uh, my dad is very sad because of that game. Um, I uh, am excited about jumping into week two of this series, When Kingdoms Collide. I want to begin with a statement, and we're going to kind of meander our way to get to the text, but Here's the statement. It is human nature to avoid things that we don't like. Uh, when you were a kid, think vegetables, right? And perhaps now think something along the lines of exercise, right? Additionally, in line with this, here is a frustrating truth. Sometimes avoiding things we don't like won't hurt us. Like for me, I don't like coffee. Sorry, it's not going to hurt me. But sometimes avoiding things that we don't like can hurt us. And in that vein, I want us today to really think about the topic of pressure, like, like high-pressure situations. I, I talked to my son about this. I, I talked to our guys about this, uh, our staff about this statement. Um, one of the great things about life is if you can learn how to do what you don't want to do, think pressure, it'll take you far. Think discipline, think of anything. Like, like in another way of saying it, you and I need to learn how to face the things that we don't want to face. And to be more specific, I just want us to press in today where we're going is the topic of pressure. Because a lot of people in this room are in some current high-pressure situations. Here's some example, perhaps conflict. Like there is a conversation that you don't want to have. You're trying to avoid it. Uh, maybe some in this room, like the news has been broken. You will not graduate. Uh, maybe it's loss of income. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe... You missed an opportunity, you're not going to get another chance, and you feel the pressure. Some in this room, you can't retire at the time frame that you hoped you could. Others, you're still alone. And perhaps maybe some in this room feel the pressure that you wish you were more alone. Understand, like all of these in a nutshell, here's a statement that you could make. Things aren't going well. And so you feel pressure. And the the question comes to mind, like, what do I do when I don't know what to do? And this is how today's message begins. Now, before we jump to Daniel chapter 2, I, I want us to look at a verse that's bothersome, all right? It, it'll annoy you. It seems hard to swallow. It seems insensitive. Like, you want to tell the author, you don't even know my story and you're giving me advice, right? And this author, as he begins the verse, you kind of want to raise your hand and say, can I tell you my high-pressure situation? But before we write off what this author has to say in these verses, we got to understand who he is. His name's James. He's the brother of Jesus. And he's the pastor of the first century church in Jerusalem. Now, imagine this. He's the brother of Jesus, which means he believes his brother is the son of God. His brother. <laughs> he heard him teach. He watched him live, saw the miracles performed. He saw his brother crucified. And then he saw him risen. And consequently, James becomes the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem in the first century for almost 40 years. And the first church in Jerusalem has tons of high-pressure situations because that church in Jerusalem was filled with Jews that became followers of Jesus. And in so doing, the pressure mounted and people wrote them off. People kicked them out. They lost jobs. They lost friends. They didn't know what to do. 
So much so that even the Apostle Paul, when he's traveling on missionary trips, he tells some of the non-Jewish Jesus followers to collect money to give to the Jewish Jesus followers in the city of Jerusalem that are going through so much high-pressure situation that they don't even have the income. And so when James writes what we're about to read, before you push off, realize this verse is actually something we can lean into in high-pressure situations. Here, here he is, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, not to mention his brother. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if ever, but whenever. Um, what he says is this, this whole issue of trials, when, when sin entered the world, it opened the door to sadness, disappointment, to struggles, to death. And he's like, look, this is part of the territory. And he says the word face, meaning when you face these, usually the word means you're taken by surprise. You're caught off guard. Think a phone call. Like some of our worst information comes from a phone call and we're like, oh no. And James says, let's look at the first four words in big, consider it pure joy when these trials. He's like, I want you to pay close attention to where your perspective is. You can consider it joy because these trials are a type of tests to which I want to ask the question. Okay, James, how can you say this without seeing the circumstance of my life. And James says, well, I'm glad you asked. Here's how, verse three. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I mean, you can pause in the middle of the high-pressure situation and you can realize, okay, what's going on right now is testing my faith to see if it's real faith. Meaning there is something about tests and trials that exposes immediately what you believe, what you really believe. It exposes what you were pretending to believe or you, what you were taught to believe, but you really never believed. Like it exposes those tests, those trials, the high pressure. It exposes whether our faith is authentic, superficial, counterfeit, or real. And James says, look, there is joy in discovering because of a high pressure situation. If your faith is really real, even though you wouldn't have signed up for this high-pressure trial. I mean, James says, there is something that is going to come to the top, and you're going to find out how genuine the faith is. So this verse sets up where we're going today. And if you're like me, I would love to press in with James and ask a few questions. All right, what does this look like? How do you find joy when it gets really tough? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And how do you keep your head real talk when everyone else is about to lose theirs? And turn with me to Daniel 2. This is exactly what's going to happen in this passage of Scripture. And as you open there, I want to tell you three things as you're turning about high-pressure situations. Number one, everybody in this room deals with it. No one is exempt. Like different seasons, different reasons, everyone deals with it. High-pressure situation, point number two, most don't like it. Think last night, when the clock is ticking and the game's running out, most people pass the ball, right? When high pressure comes, we kind of avoid these situations. Point number three is you're getting there. How we deal with it matters. If I deal with a high pressure situation wrong, if you do too, a lot can fall apart. But if we handle it in a way that a follower of Jesus should handle it, it opens the door for many opportunities. And you'll see today in Daniel 2, that it starts to prepare the, 
prepare the way for, for even, even greater opportunities to make an influence. Back to Daniel 1, you remember this last week? Daniel 1, uh, the Babylonian Empire comes in and destroys Jerusalem, takes a bunch captive. Uh, specifically, they bring in the best and the brightest, Daniel and his buds. Um, they're given new names, taught new literature, having to learn a new culture. They're in a three-year program where they're trained to be around King Nebuchadnezzar to learn all that he does. And you'll remember last, last week, I told you this, God's fingerprints are all over this story, which is a reminder for all of us when things are going dark, like his fingerprints are all over our story. And he's at work in four high school students that are about to shape everything. Daniel 2, the king, has had a tough dream. By the text, you can pretty much tell he doesn't really remember the dream. And he's curious about what it means because it bothered him. He's, he's angry. He can't go back to sleep. He can't turn his head off. And he calls in those guys that have been his close quarters, the ones that have gone through all the training. And he makes a statement, tell me my dream and tell me what it means. Now, here's a question. What reasonable person would ask you to know what they're thinking and interpret it? No elbows to the spouse, right? Think about it. We all struggle with that. Uh, many in this room are dealing with a similar situation, but just not so high stakes. Listen to verse 5 of chapter 2. The king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you, don't let, if you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me, what the, tell me the dream and what it means. High pressure situation. Some of you work for someone like this, live with someone like this, unrealistic expectations. They want to know something. They want to know it now. They want something on their desk by the end of the day, something by the end of the week. And these guys around him, let them know this is impossible. Their statement, only the gods can do this. Now, Daniel and them aren't in the picture yet. His response, verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. And now we're about to see how Daniel responds to highly pressurized moments. I want us to pay close attention because when kingdoms collide, as a follower of Jesus, everyone in this room will figure out, what do I do? Because it's human nature to avoid the things that we don't want to do, to not face the things that we don't want to face. Here's some things that we need to note that Daniel does that we should remember when we don't know what to do, when we're in the middle of a high pressure crisis. Number one, keep your cool when the pressure gets hot. Um, the next verse, on behalf of the commander of the king's guard, he's the executioner. He knocks on Daniel's door. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Some of your translations might say with wisdom and tact. I love that phrase. In other words, Daniel responds in such a way that it lands well. Imagine you're in Daniel's shoes. Imagine I'm in Daniel's shoes. I get a knock on the door and I find out what's about to happen. I'm not responding this way. I'm responding with sheer panic. I'm going to jump to major conclusions. But Daniel, he calmly asks a question. Verse 15, he asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? 
So Ariok told him all that had happened. The other guys pretty much asked the same thing. But Daniel asked it in a different way. He asked it in such a way that it extends the conversation. That's what wisdom and discretion mean. Wisdom and discretion. Discretion is like a type of tact. It literally means to form an opinion based on your taste. Daniel talks in such a way, uses the right words in a calm setting, in a, in a highly pressurized setting. He uses calm words to keep this conversation going. I think we would all agree, as followers of Jesus, we could all use a little bit more wisdom and discretion with our mouth. I could pick on me all day long, and I'm afraid some of the examples I would give you would cause you to be embarrassed. There are times that, that my mouth just runs wild. I'll tell one example, and we'll go to the next one, all right? Like, like, it wasn't long ago, I was trying to influence some guys. Like, there's about 40 that get together to play golf. There's one guy that's sometimes a little bit difficult. Everybody's a little difficult. I'm difficult. They were in a group in front of us. Uh, some of the guys that I play with are in this room. They could vouch for this story, all right? It's a long hole. I don't hit the ball far. I hit the ball kind of far in this hole. I don't know what happened. They were on the green, and it almost hit them, all right? And um, he decided to go off and uh, kind of made a little bit of a scene. We laugh about it now. But he said, you hit that five feet to the left of my head. And I said, well, I accidentally hit it left. And, and like, that was the first thing that came to my mind. And I'm like, doggone it. You know what I mean? Now, we're good. But I was just bothered. I don't hit the ball that far. And it's not supposed to even happen that way. Understand, like all of us could use this at times. I could give you so many more examples. As a follower of Jesus, if we can develop wisdom and discretion, even though our points are valid, so many of us want to make a point. And in so doing, we are no longer making a difference. If we can bite this and use wisdom and discretion or wisdom and tact in a high-pressure situation, it'll take us much further. Paul said it this way, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. High pressure. Whatever it is, all the examples, stay calm when everything else starts to climb and get high. Uh, point number two, Daniel trusted God with the source of his pressure. As he speaks with the executioner, knowing his life is on the line, what he does this week, if you were with us last week, is exactly what he did last week. He asks for more time because he's going to trust God with this situation. It's like he's saying, God, will you please be at work? This week, the way that you were at work last week. Verse 16, Daniel went at once to see the king. He requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Remember the 10-day test drive on the, on the food issue? Right now, he's doing the same thing. He's like, God, I have no idea what this guy's dream is. I have no idea what this dream would mean. But God, you do. And so he proposes an alternative to the king. You give me some time because you guys... I've tried it your way. Let me try it God's way. Now, it's easy for me to think, what if God doesn't come through for me in my high-pressure situation like I want him to come through for me? What if that's God's way of getting me out of the high-pressure situation? And who's to say, if you trust him with the source of the high-pressure, 
Who's to say that he doesn't act in such a way? That he does something amazing and it gives you even more opportunity to influence. Understand, I've said this before. When God tells us to do something on the issue of trust, the outcome is not the issue. Obedience is. Meaning, Daniel stands in this high-pressure moment, trusts God with the source, and he's thinking, okay, it's about God's ability and not my ingenuity. Verse 27, Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Here we go, my favorite words. But there is a God who reveals secrets, and he has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. I want us to pause here. What sets Daniel apart from the rest of the culture? At his core, he believed. But there is a God. And I don't know what he will do. And I don't know if he will do it. And I don't know how he will do it, but I will trust God with the source of all of this pressure. I need this when, when I'm at the end of my rope, when my back is against the wall, when I don't know how to handle situations, and it happens time and time again. The verse continues, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's shown the king what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. When most of us think about Daniel, we think about Daniel in the lion's den. That happens sometime later. The reason that happens is because he have a, Daniel develops a lifestyle of, but there is a God. Chapter one, it's like, but there is a God. Chapter two, but there is a God. Over and over, there is a God and it builds. It'll even build next week. Daniel does this to the point where, where all of a sudden he's like trusting God with the source of his high pressure. I want to ask you a question, just a couple right now. Where are you feeling pressure right now? Think on it. Where are you at the end of your rope? What does it look like for you to think, okay, but there is a God. Point number three, invite your crew into the crisis. The moment the executioner left, Daniel invited his crew. Verse 17, Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. This is exactly what his friends do. They pray. By all means, develop this habit. I did it multiple times this week. Difficult situations, just whether it was personal, church-related, work-related. There are friends that I would reach out to strategically. Hey, this is going on. Can I get some advice? Can I get you to pray with me on this deal? Some of us in this room, that is hard to do. I know it can be awkward. I know you don't want to be a bother. I know you don't want to appear weak. And I know some of you men especially don't like asking other people for help. But when we invite our crew into the crisis, we're inviting them into our story. And God has a way of blessing everyone in the story. When we give him a crisis together and we seek God together, look what happens as a result of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego praying. Verse 48, end of the story. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all the wise men. Look here. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon 
while Daniel remained in the king's court. Have you ever been a part of praying for someone and you carried the weight with them like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did with Daniel? And you all get to experience the joy of answer prayer? All right, don't think less. I'm going to give you a minor one. A few weeks ago, remember the snow hit that night? A um, little secret. I packed up a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. I apologize up front. Drove my truck over here. I destroyed the parking lot. All right, uh, that was me and all the snow. Later that night, we go back to the house. Other cars can't get up the hills, all this stuff. And so I'm parked. I'm getting ready to go to bed. I got to get up early the next morning. Some of the kids that are at our house, um, they were climbing up the top of the hill, playing around, way up there. Cars couldn't even get up there. And um, one of them comes down, and he's, he's just upset bad. I'm in bed. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm ready to go to sleep. And uh, I get up and check on him. I'm like, Hans, what's up? And he's like, man, I lost my phone. My parents are going to kill me. And I made a statement, well, let me call your dad. We can paint. He's like, no, don't call my dad. You know, it's like... By the way, I called them and asked them permission to tell this story today. Um, so I put on my clothes, walk up to the top of the hill. I'm in the worst mood in the world. Uh, don't want to go to the top. We spend tons of time, like everybody. We pulled out our phones and dropped and completely disappeared just to see, okay, what's this going to be like? We've spent forever looking. I mean, woods, everything. And God's like, Tim, your attitude's been awful. And you haven't even talked to me about this. I mean, it's just a phone. And I'm like, but what if he doesn't? And all of a sudden, Jen prays. I pray. Kids pray. Three minutes go by. We find the phone. Do you think there was joy with all of us? You tell me. <laughs> and that's, that's just a phone. Guys, you guys have been praying for my mom. I've been praying for your marriages. Some of you were not able to have kids. When we invite our crew into a crisis, it's like, and God does something amazing. We're inviting people into the story. And they're getting, getting to experience the same joy that we experience when God does something amazing. So in high pressure situation, stay calm, stay cool when everything gets hot. Trust God with the source of the pressure and invite your crew into the crisis. One more statement. Stay focused on what will last. This one's fun. I told my guys in my men's group this week, oh, I love this one. For just a minute, we'll close here. I want you to look at the dream. This dream can be confusing. But the dream... And the interpretation of the dream was not just for the king. It's for all of us in this room. God gives Daniel the dream and he goes straight to the king. I got to read a bunch, so stay tuned. Verse 29, while your majesty, look at that, still showing wisdom and discretion, still showing honor when kingdoms collide. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what's going to happen. And it's not because I am wiser than anyone else. I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. We cannot forget to make sure people know this. There is a God who loves them. There is a God that wants them to know what's going on in their heart. This is the gospel message. Verse 31, in your vision, your majesty, 
You saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. The legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain and covered the whole earth. That's the dream. The statue represents power and strength. And a rock comes into the story, a stone. Not made by human hands. Strikes the statue and destroys it. This is what troubled Nebuchadnezzar. So here it comes. That was the dream. Now, we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest king. But the God of heaven has always given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. It was a gift, even where you're at. He's made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You're the head of gold. That's you in that dream. But after your kingdom comes to an end, gut check, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, it will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. The kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and the toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands. That crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. This is devastating news for a king of the Babylonian Empire. Everything you're building, king, everything that you're about, one day it will be gone. But there is another kingdom, not made by human hands. And this kingdom will be established forever. If you study history, and I'm not even talking Bible history, if this is your first time, we're not even talking Bible history. This story, the dream, and its interpretation are ridiculously accurate. By the way, followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to read this and kind of skim through it quick. Let me kind of give you the lowdown. The gold represented the Babylonian Empire, 605 B.C. Silver, Persian Empire. 536 B.C. Bronze, the Greek Empire, 330 B.C. Iron, the Roman Empire, 27 B.C. And during that time, a stone rolled in, not fashioned by human hands. His name is Jesus. And over and over in Scripture, Jesus would make statements like this. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Change the way you think. Change your heart. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. 
absolutely amazing. So, what does all of this mean for you and me? At our core, under pressure, when we don't know what to do, what to do, we will either put our trust in statues that will pass away or a kingdom that lasts forever. And so where we place our trust determines how we handle pressure. I want you to think about this. Where do you find yourself leaning your ladder in high-pressure situations? In your ability? It's just a statue. In your ingenuity? Just a statue. Your IQ? Once again, it's just a statue. Your job? Statue. Bank account? Statue. Who you know? Statue. And all those statues will pass away. But there is one kingdom that will stand. And this is where every one of us in this room should place our trust. Listen to the way the author of Hebrews says it all. Hebrews 12, 26. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him today with holy fear and awe. The kingdom that is unshakable with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to think about what is so overwhelming. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Family, work, health. How do you keep your head when everyone else is about to lose theirs? That's Daniel's question. You stayed cool when the pressure got hot. I mean, you think about it. What's it like to have wisdom and discretion this week in your high-pressure situation? To stay calm. You may have a valid point. It's not about making a point. It's about making a difference. Wisdom and discretion. He also trusted God with the source of his pressure. Those four beautiful words, or five beautiful words. But there is a God. And he may, not, he may not respond like you want him to respond, but it might get you out of the situation. Or he might respond exactly how you want him to respond, and it'll give you an opportunity to grow and others to see Jesus. How about this? Invite your crew into the crisis. I know it feels weak. I know you don't like asking favors. Do you realize when you invite them into your crisis, you're inviting them into your story? And when God does something special, they get to experience the same joy 
of answered prayer. And then finally, please, by all means, in the high-pressure situation, don't lose sight of the kingdom that will last forever. This stuff we're all dealing with, it will pass away. But how we handle it right now as followers of Jesus, when kingdoms collide, it matters. Father, today I want to thank you for pressure. Like James said, it tests our faith. And so today's one of those moments we can say time out. We can look at what we're dealing with and say, okay, is my faith superficial, counterfeit? Or is it real? We think about Daniel. A crisis, overwhelmed, but he stayed calm. He put his trust in you because there is a God. He invited his friend, his crew, into the crisis. And you worked in a powerful way. Please, in this room, Father, let us not lose sight of your kingdom that will last forever. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to give you a chance. If you want to see this play out for the first time, you need prayer. As we sing a song or even after the service, go to the far right of this room or even in the hallway. There's a next step there. We just love to talk. Maybe it's for your family. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe you need to trust Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about those steps. Maybe you want to go public with baptism. Maybe you'd like to partner with this church. I don't know what it is. But we'd love to help you in this process of becoming more like Jesus. Kind of a Daniel in a high-pressure world, especially when kingdoms collide. God, thank you for today. We declare that you have a kingdom that will last forever. And so our trust in this moment, this rally point, our trust is in you and your kingdom that is not shaken. And I pray this in Jesus' name.